Chapter eighteen of Lost Man's Lane by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Second Night I cannot say that I looked forward to the night with any very cheerful anticipations. The locksmith having failed to keep his appointment, I was likely to have no more protection against intrusion than I had had the night before and while i cannot say that i especially feared any unwelcome entrance into my apartment i should have gone to my rest with a greater sense of satisfaction if a key had been in the lock and that key had been turned by my own hand on my own side of the door the atmosphere of gloom which settled down over the household after the evening meal seemed like the warning note of something strange and evil awaiting us so marked was this that many in my situation would have further disturbed these girls by some allusion to the fact but that was not the role i had set myself to play at this crisis i remembered what mr gryce had said about winning their confidence and though the turmoil evident in lucetta's mind and the distraction visible even in the careful miss knollys led me to expect a culmination of some kind before the night was over i not only hid my recognition of this fact but succeeded in sufficiently impressing them with the contentment which my own petty employments afforded me i am never idle even in other persons houses for them to spare me the harassment of their alternate visits which in their present mood and mine promised little in the way of increased knowledge of their purposes and much in the way of distraction and the loss of that nerve upon which i calculated for a successful issue out of the possible difficulties of this night had i been a woman of ordinary courage i would have sounded three premonitory notes upon my whistle before blowing out my candle but while i am not lacking i hope in many of the finer feminine qualities which link me to my sex i have but few of that sex's weaknesses and none of its instinctive reliance upon others which leads it so often to neglect its own resources till i saw good reasons for summoning the police i proposed to preserve a discreet silence a premature alarm being in their eyes as i knew from many talks with mr gryce the one thing suggestive of a timid and inexperienced mind hannah had brought me a delicious cup of tea at ten the influence of which was to make me very drowsy at eleven but i shook this weakness off and began my night's watch in a state of stern composure which i verily believe would have awakened mr gryce's admiration had it been consonant with the proprieties for him to have seen it indeed the very seriousness of the occasion was such that i could not have trembled if i would every nerve and faculty being strained to their utmost to make the most of every sound which might arise in the now silent and discreetly darkened house i had purposely omitted the precaution of pushing my bed against the door of my room as i had done the night before being anxious to find myself in a position to cross its threshold at the least alarm that this would come i felt positive for hannah in leaving my room had taken pains to say in unconscious imitation of what miss knollys had remarked the night before 
don't let any queer sounds you may hear disturb you miss butterworth there's nothing to hurt you in this house nothing at all an admonition which i am sure her young mistresses would not have allowed her to utter if they had been made acquainted with her intention but though in a state of high expectation and listening as i supposed with every faculty alert the sounds i apprehended delayed so long that i began after an hour or two unaccountably to nod in my chair and before i knew it i was asleep with the whistle in my hand and my feet pressed against the panels of the door i had set myself to guard how deep that sleep was or how long i indulged in it i can only judge from the state of emotion in which i found myself when i suddenly woke i was sitting there still but my usually calm frame was in a violent tremble and i found it difficult to stir much more to speak some one or something was at my door an instant and my powerful nature would have asserted itself but before this could happen the stealthy step drew nearer and i heard the quiet almost noiseless insertion of a key into the lock and the quick turn which made me a prisoner this with the indignation it caused brought me quickly to myself so the door had a key after all and this was the use it was reserved for rising quickly to my feet i shouted out the names of Lorene, lucetta and william but received no other response than the rapid withdrawal of feet down the corridor then i felt for the whistle which had somehow slipped from my hand but failed to find it in the darkness nor when i went to search for the matches to relight the candle i had left standing on a table near by could i by any means succeed in igniting one so that i presently had the pleasure of finding myself shut up in my room with no means of communicating with the world outside and with no light to render the situation tolerable this was having the tables turned upon me with a vengeance and in a way for which i could not account i could understand why they had locked me in the room and why they had not heeded my cry of indignant appeal but i could not comprehend how my whistle came to be gone nor why the matches which were sufficiently plentiful in the safe refused one and all to perform their office on these points i felt it necessary to come to some sort of conclusion before i proceeded to invent some way out of my difficulties so dropping on my knees by the chair in which i had been sitting i began a quiet search for the petty object upon which nevertheless hung not my safety perhaps but all chances of success in an undertaking which was every moment growing more serious i did not find it but i did find where it had gone in the floor near the door my hand encountered a hole which had been covered up by a rug early in the evening but which i now distinctly remembered having pushed aside with my feet when i took my seat there this aperture was not large but it was so deep that my hand failed to reach to the bottom of it and into this hole by some freak of chance 
had slipped the small whistle i had so indiscreetly taken into my hand the mystery of the matches was less easy of solution so i let it go after a moment of indecisive thought and bent my energies once again to listen when suddenly and without the least warning there rose from somewhere in the house a cry so wild and unearthly that i started up appalled and for a moment could not tell whether i was labouring under some fearful dream or a still more fearful reality a rushing of feet in the distance and an involuntary murmur of voices soon satisfied me however on this score and drawing upon every energy i possessed i listened for a renewal of the cry which was yet curdling my blood but none came and presently all was as still as if no sound had arisen to disturb the midnight though every fibre in my body told me that the event i had feared the event of which i hardly dared mention the character even to myself had taken place and that i who was sent there to forestall it was not only a prisoner in my room but a prisoner through my own folly and my inordinate love of tea the anger with which i contemplated this fact and the remorse i felt at the consequences which had befallen the innocent victim whose scream i had just heard made me very wide awake indeed and after an ineffectual effort to make my voice heard from the window i called my usual philosophy to my aid and decided that since the worst had happened and i a prisoner had to await events like any other weak and defenceless woman i might as well do it with calmness and in a way to win my own approval at least the dupe of william and his sisters i would not be the dupe of my own fears or even of my own regrets the consequence was a renewed equanimity and a gentle brooding over the one event of the day which brought no regret in its train the ride with mr trome and the acquaintanceship to which it had led were topics upon which i could rest with great soothing effect through the weary hours stretching between me and daylight consequently of mr trome i thought whether the almost deathly quiet into which the house had now fallen or the comforting nature of my meditations held inexorably to the topic i had chosen acted as a soporific upon me i cannot tell but greatly as i dislike to admit it feeling sure that you will expect to hear i kept myself awake all that night i insensibly sank from great alertness to an easy indifference to my surroundings and from that to vague dreams in which beds of lilies and trellises covered with roses mingled strangely with narrow winding staircases whose tops ended in the swaying branches of great trees and so into quiet and a nothingness that were only broken into by a rap at my door and a cheerful eight o'clock ma'am the young ladies are waiting i bounded literally bounded from my chair such a summons after such a night what did it mean i was sitting half dressed in my chair before my door 
in a straightened and uncomfortable attitude and therefore had not dreamed that i had been upon the watch all night yet the sunshine in the room the cheery tones such as i had not heard even from this woman before seemed to argue that my imagination had played me false and that no horrors had come to disturb my rest or render my waking distressing stretching out my hand toward the door i was about to open it when i bethought me turn the key in the lock said i somebody was careful enough of my safety to fasten me in last night an exclamation of astonishment came from outside the door there is no key here ma'am the door is not locked shall i open it and come in i was about to say yes in my anxiety to talk to the woman but remembering that nothing was to be gained by letting it be seen to what an extent i had carried my suspicions i hastily disrobed and crept into bed pulling the coverings about me i assumed a comfortable attitude and then cried come in the door immediately opened there ma'am what did i tell you locked this door why the key has been lost for months i cannot help it i protested but with little if any asperity for it did not suit me that she should see i was moved by any extraordinary feeling a key was put in that lock about midnight and i was locked in it was about the time someone screamed in your own part of the house screamed her brows took a fine pucker of perplexity oh that must have been miss lucetta lucetta yes ma'am she had an attack i believe poor miss lucetta she often has attacks like that confounded for the woman spoke so naturally that only a suspicious nature like mine would fail to have been deceived by it i raised myself on my elbow and gave her an indignant look yet you said just now that the young ladies were expecting me to breakfast yes and why not her look was absolutely guileless miss lucetta sometimes keeps us up half the night but she does not miss breakfast on that account when the turn is over she is as well as ever she was a fine young lady miss lucetta i'd lose my two hands for her any day she certainly is a remarkable girl i declared not however as dryly as i felt i can hardly believe i dreamed about the key let me feel of your pocket i laughed she without the smallest hesitancy pulled aside her apron i am sorry you put so little confidence in my word ma'am but law me what you heard is nothing to what some of our guests have complained of in the days i mean when we did have guests i have known them to scream out themselves in the middle of the night and vow they saw white figures creeping up and down the halls all nonsense ma'am but believed in by some folks you don't look as if you believed in ghosts and i don't i said not a whit it would be a poor way to try to frighten me how is mr william this morning oh he's well and feeding the dogs ma'am what made you think of him politeness hannah i found myself forced to say he's the only man in the house why shouldn't i think of him 
She fingered her apron a minute and laughed. I didn't know you liked him. He's so rough. It isn't everybody who understands him, she said. Must one understand a person to like him? I queried good-humouredly. I was beginning to think I might have dreamed about that key. I don't know, she said. I don't always understand Miss Lucetta, but I like her through and through, ma'am, as I like this little finger. And holding up this member to my inspection, she crossed the room for my water pitcher, which she proposed to fill with hot water. I followed her closely with my eyes. When she came back, I saw her attention caught by the break in the flooring, which she had not noticed on entering. Oh, she exclaimed, what a shame! Her honest face colouring as she drew the rug back over the small black gap. I am sure, ma'am, she cried, you must think very poorly of us. But I assure you, ma'am, it's honest poverty. Nothing but honest poverty as makes them so neglectful and with an air as far removed from mystery as her frank good-natured manner seemed to be from falsehood, she slid from the room with a kind. Don't hurry, ma'am. It is Miss Knollys's turn in the kitchen, and she isn't as quick as Miss Lucetta. Hm, thought I. Supposing I had called in the police. But by the time she had returned with the water, my doubts had reawakened. She was not changed in manner, though I have no doubt she had recounted all that I had said below, but I was, for I remembered the matches, and thought I saw a way of tripping her up in her self-complacency. Just as she was leaving me for the second time, I called her back. "'What is the matter with your matches?' I asked. "'I couldn't make them light last night.' With a wholly undisturbed countenance, she turned toward the bureau and took up the china trinket that held the few remaining matches I had not scraped on the piece of sandpaper I myself had fastened up alongside the door. A sheepish cry of dismay at once escaped her. Why, these are old matches, she declared, showing me the box in which a half dozen or so burned matches stood with their burned tops all turned down. I thought they were all right. I am afraid we are a little short of matches. I did not like to tell her what I thought about it, but it made me doubly anxious to join the young ladies at breakfast and judge for myself from their conduct and expression if I had been deceived by my own fears into taking for realities the fantasies of a nightmare or whether I was correct in ascribing to fact that episode of the key with all the possibilities that lay behind it. I did not let my anxiety, however, stand in the way of my duty. Mr. Grice had bid me carry the whistle he had sent me constantly about my person, and I felt that he would have the right to reproach me if I left my room without making some endeavour to recover this lost article. How to do this without aid or appliances of any kind was a problem. I knew where it was, but I could not see it, much less reach it. Besides, they were waiting for me, never a pleasant thought. It occurred to me that I might lower into the hole a lighted candle, 
hung by a string. Looking over my effects, I chose out a hairpin, a candle, and two corset laces. Pardon me, I am as modest as most of my sex, but I am not squeamish. Corset laces are strings, and as such only I present them to your notice. I should like to have added a button-hook to my collection, but not having as yet discarded the neatly laced boot of my ancestor, I could only produce a small article from my toilet service, which shall remain unmentioned, as I presently discarded it, and turned my whole attention to the other objects I have named. A poor array, but out of them I hoped to find the means of fishing up my lost whistle. My intention was to lower first a lighted candle into the hole by means of a string tied about its middle, then to drop a line on the whistle thus discovered and draw it up with the point of a bent hairpin, which I fondly hoped I could make do the service of a hook. To think was to try. The candle was soon down in the hole, and by its light the whistle was easily seen. The string and bent hairpin went down next. I was successful in hooking the prize, and proceeded to pull it up with great care. For an instant I realised what a ridiculous figure I was cutting, stooping over a hole in the floor on both knees, a string in each hand, leading apparently to nowhere and I at work cautiously steadying one, and as carefully pulling on the other. Having hooked the string holding the whistle over the first finger of the hand holding the candle, I may have become too self-conscious to notice the slight release of weight on the whistle hand. Whatever the reason, when the end of the string came in sight, there was no whistle on it. The charred end showed me that the candle had burned the cord, letting the whistle fall again out of reach. Down went the candle again. It touched bottom, but no whistle was to be seen. After a long and fruitless search, I concluded to abandon my whistle-fishing excursion, and rising from my cramped and undignified position, I proceeded to pull up the candle. To my surprise and delight, I found the whistle firmly stuck to the lower side of it. Some drops of candle grease had fallen upon the whistle where it lay. The candle coming in contact with it, the two had adhered, and I became indebted to accident rather than to acumen for the restoration of the precious article. End of chapter 18